Welcome to Red By, where today's finest authors read what matters to them, from their homes to yours. In this episode, Paisley Rechtal reads and discusses Alexander Pope's Epistle to Miss Blunt. To learn more from Rechtal about her choice, check out the episode description. And now, Red By, Paisley Rechtal. Hi, this is Paisley Rechtal, and I'm going to be reading Alexander Pope's Epistle to Miss Blunt on her leaving town after the coronation. As some fond virgin whom her mother's care drags from the town to wholesome country air, just when she learns to roll a melting eye and hear a spark, yet think no danger nigh, from the dear man unwillingly she must sever, yet takes one kiss before she parts forever. Thus from the world fair Zephalinda flew, saw others happy, and with sighs withdrew. Not that their pleasures caused her discontent, she sighed not that they stayed, but that she went. She went to plain work and to purling brooks, old-fashioned halls, dull ants and croaking rooks. She went from opera, park, assembly, play, to morning walks and prayers three hours a day to pass her time twixt reading and bohee, to muse and spill her solitary tea, or o'er cold coffee trifle with the spoon, count the slow clock, and dine exact at noon, divert her eyes with pictures in the fire, hum half a tune, tell stories to the squire, up to her godly garret after seven, there starve and pray, for that's the way to heaven." Some squire, perhaps, you take a delight to rack, whose game is whisk, whose treat a toast and sack, who visits with a gun, presents you birds, then gives a smacking bus and cries, no words, or with his hound, comes hollowing from the stable, makes love with nods and knees beneath the table, whose laughs are hearty, though his jests are coarse, and loves you best of all things but his horse. In some fair evening, on your elbow laid, you dream of triumphs in the rural shade. In pensive thought recall the fancied scene. See coronations rise on every green. Before you pass the imaginary sights of lords and earls and dukes and gartered knights, while the spread fan o'ershades your closing eyes, then give one flirt and all the vision flies. Thus vanish scepters, coronets, and balls and leave you in lone woods or empty walls. So when your slave, at some dear idle time, not plagued with headaches or the want of rhyme, stands in the streets, abstracted from the crew, and while he seems to study, thinks of you, just when his fancy points your sprightly eyes, or sees the blush of soft Parthenia rise, gay pats my shoulder, and you vanish quite. Streets, chairs, and coxcombs rush upon my sight. Vexed to be still in town, I knit my brow, Look sour and hum a tune, as you may now. So charming may not be a word you associate with the poetry of Alexander Pope, but for me, Epistle to Miss Blunt may be one of the most charming poems I know. Pope, famous for The Rape of the Lock and his exhaustively didactic essay in Man, a work many of you likely slog through in college and which continues to elicit groans of dismay in classrooms across America today, delights with this epistolary poem, brief by Popian standards, full of wit and life. Like all his poems, it displays a beautiful facility with rhyme and meter. Pope was a master of the heroic couplet, and a real sense of compassion for the young woman to whom it is addressed. 
Miss Teresa Blunt, called here alternatively Zephalinda, a pet nickname Pope had given her, and Parthenia, more on that later, is at the very height of her popularity. She's being dragged from London's social bohemia, bohe, by her mother now to the countryside to be morally improved and wooed by the local mouth breathers. What's remarkable is the sympathy Pope displays for the boredoms and indignities Miss Blunt suffers, the endless dull ants and solitary teas, the soul-grinding hours spent at church and prayer, even the coarse attempts at lovemaking by the local squire, who appears dubiously enamored of his pets. Pope's imagination of these events becomes the backdrop for his portrait of Miss Blunt, as a young woman with dreams and ambitions of her own, a woman who's just beginning to understand her own sexual power and may herself be a touch too enamored of the superficial charms of London life. Still, the poem doesn't lecture her on her youthful choice of amusements. Clearly, Miss Blunt is getting enough of that at home. Though she dreams of triumphs which Pope knows would be primarily romantic, and though those dowsing visions of court life threaten to vanish in one flirt of her waking, Pope remains her champion. He satirizes her situation, but gently. Notice how the poem begins by referring to Miss Blunt in the third person, but by the middle of the poem becomes explicitly addressed to her in the second person. As Pope imagines Miss Blunt's life through his capacities as a poet, it appears he grows closer to her as a friend, until by the end, both Pope and Miss Blunt, though separated by situation and distance, make the same frustrated gesture at their separation. In terms of poetic genre, Epistle to Miss Blunt also changes from verse portrait to Epistle to Elegy, as by the end of the poem, Miss Blunt too becomes a vision for Pope, similar to the ones Miss Blunt has of court life in London. She moves from the fanciful Zephalinda to something more mysterious, abstract, even divine, Parthenia, which is the Greek word for maiden, and an explicit reference to the goddess Athena. Parthenia, interestingly, is also the pet name Pope used for Teresa Blunt's sister, Martha, with whom he had a lifelong intimate friendship, one that exceeded his with Teresa, with whom he reportedly quarreled later in life. By the time Pope's friend and fellow poet John Gay claps Pope on the back to awaken him from his reverie, the young woman he imagines or mistakes for his friend, or her sister, has vanished, as the real Miss Blunt, through her inevitable maturation of marriage in the world outside this poem, will likely disappear from his life as well. For me, part of the poem's charm lies in the fact that, though romantic at its feeling for Miss Blunt, it is not a traditional love poem. As you can tell, Pope and Miss Blunt were of different ages when the poem was written. And while this fact wouldn't have precluded a relationship, the fact that Zephalinda becomes Parthenia suggests that Pope is truly romanticizing the moments any Miss Blunt comes of age. Even the frame of the poem, in which Miss Blunt is physically removed from London to the countryside, is meant to resonate metaphorically with her change from young adolescence to womanhood. That's the story Pope seems enamored with. And if the poem's ending has a touch of Maurice Chevalier crooning, thank heaven for little girls, to it, I do think the tone may be complicated by Pope's biography. Sickly as a child, height dramatically stunted by illness, Pope was raised in a strict Roman Catholic family in Binfield, Berkshire, kept from public school due to his family religion. And that's my neighbor, gunning his engine. He was able to satirize so precisely the zealotry that comprised country life because he'd lived it too. In fact, Teresa and Martha Blunt were his neighbors. In the end, perhaps these physical and social handicaps help Pope better imagine Miss Blunt's own mounting frustrations. In his poem, Miss Blunt is subject to the whims of all sorts of people and institutions. Mother, aunt, the church, the squire. His understanding of the limitations of her agency might stem from his own experience of being trapped in a body whose deformation socially neutered or invalidated him as a man. 
Perhaps that's another reason why he refers to Miss Blunt's status as a maiden twice in the poem. It not only emphasizes the fact she's coming of age, but that unlike him, her body itself is still, in a patriarchal sense, intact. I don't know where that guy's going because there's nothing open. Lastly, I'd like to note the intensely dreamlike quality to this poem. There are so many daydreams and visions enclosed inside Epistle, Pope's speculative musings on Miss Blunt, her daydreams of court in London, Pope's reverie of himself envisioning her back in London, that by the end of the poem, I'm almost lost inside its spell. Like Pope, I'm regretfully startled awake from this enchanting picture of Miss Blunt and want to return immediately to the poem's beginning, to relive once more the few evanescent moments in which Miss Blunt is again young, willful, alive, a product both of Pope's attentive admiration and mine. Thanks for listening. I'm Paisley Rechtal, and that was my delightful neighbor with his really wonderful motorcycle. Goodbye. Nine Two Wise Read By is produced and commissioned by New York's Nine Two Y Unterberg Poetry Center, a home for live readings and literature for over 80 years. To invite more authors into your home, subscribe to Nine Two Wise Read By wherever you download podcasts. If you're able, please visit 92y.org slash help now to donate to support Nine Two Y and our new digital programming. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Find more great recordings at 92y.org slash redby.